Hello, this is your host, Mig, a.k.a. Grasshopper. Welcome to another episode of Fuerza, Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete. Tonight, our guest, Mariah Wilson. Mariah has come off some stunning races recently with a second in Belgian Waffle Ride and recently a second at Leadville. And let's, let us not forget a second at Huffmaster in May. Mariah, who hails from East Bergen, Vermont, has been a NorCal transplant where she has been uh, ticking off the Queen of Mountains as quick as she can, only to have them taken back by the other Fafo ladies. Anyway, stay tuned as we discuss gravel racing, riding in the Bay Area, skiing in Vermont, huck racing, Fafel, all kinds of good stuff. Anyway, stay tuned for more. Before we bring you our episode, I want to check in with our listeners out there about what's been going on and what's coming up with the grasshoppers. As you can imagine, it's been a heck of a year and a half. No events and then a couple events, but we're moving into the fall and successfully have landed a couple on the calendar. September 25th, up and coming, is Lake Sonoma Grasshopper. It's a mountain bike race, approximately 22 miles and 3,400 feet of climbing and probably 95% single track. It's a real classic. The conditions are a little bit drier than usual due to the time of year. Um, but we're fortunate that the trails are open. The local volunteers and the Hillsbury Running Club have been doing amazing work getting things back in ship shape after the fires of last year. Speaking of fires, our hearts go out to everyone who has been impacted and is evacuated and have lost their homes. It is tragic that it is a yearly occurrence and our heart goes out to everyone. In addition to Lake Sonoma, we have the USAL Lost Coast Hopper which if you don't know about that, Google Las Coast, Google Usa Beach. Believe it or not, we're holding an event there. I can't wait for that event. A partnership with Redwood Forest Foundations. Come for the shred and learn about the early environmental movement up there to protect some of the last standing redwoods. Uh, Redwood Forest Foundation is doing a fantastic job managing the forest, creating jobs, working with carbon offsets, offsets and doing what a responsible timber company should do. They're a nonprofit and have partnered with us to give people a chance to be out, to ride on their land and find out uh, what they're all about. You can find information on our webpage. So stay tuned now with a chat with Mariah Wilson. Well, Mo, welcome to Fuerza uh, for another podcast. Great to see you. Thank you, Meg. Great to be here. Super honored. And yeah, stoked to talk to you. Yeah. So um, when I thought of reaching out to talk to you, our plan was to get the Fawful ladies together. So a little disclaimer, we planned to get all three people and it was a little complicated. So so people listening along will, will know that we're not excluding uh, Maude and Alice and we'll get the get the crew together soon. Yeah, for sure. We have we have busy schedules. Yeah, yeah, and they're all kind of all over the place, which is, which is great. It's it's good to it's good to good to have that as a case. First of all, I want to congratulate you on on a second place at Leadville. That's the most current um, uh, success you've had, and 
you know, I think maybe some people didn't know you were surprised. Uh, others maybe you did weren't. What about you? Did, did you exceed your expectations? Did you feel like you were on track for that type of result? That's a significant uh, result. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I didn't have expectations going into Leadville. Like, to be honest, I was really nervous about the altitude. I've never raced that high up before and for that long. Um, and also I knew that there are a ton of women there who have a lot more mountain bike experience than me. And even though it's not a super technical course, um, you know, there is still a technical, somewhat of a technical component to it. And, um, yeah, so I think that the altitude especially was something that made me really nervous. And I knew like, I I really didn't know how my body was going to react. So I thought like, you know, if things lined up well and went, went well on the day, I think I knew that I, I could maybe have a good result. Um, so I wasn't totally shocked by what I was able to accomplish, but I definitely did not, I wasn't going into that being like, this is my goal. I want to be top three. I want to have this time or anything like that. I, that really wasn't my focus. Um, so, yeah. And on, on such a long day, how did that play for you? Obviously, it's much different than a 20, 30 mile mountain bike race. You know, you could have moments of feeling really good and ma- moments of being deep, deep in the pain cave. You could be with people in separations with men, with women. Um, I know it's a long race. So how can you run me through that just a little bit of, uh, of how that that is? And especially if you start out with such a big group, there's certainly um, a road or gravel component in the sense of needing to find allies and people to work with, right? And maybe going harder than you want to, or maybe losing people. So how, tell us a little about that, bit about the race day. Yeah. I mean, I think like that, that strategy, the strategy and like the road, some of the road tactics, like compared to a lot of other gravel races that I've done recently, I knew it wasn't going to be as big of a, of a thing. And so my goal is to really pace myself in the first half and to kind of ride my own race. So I saw Katarina and like a couple other women kind of take off on the first climb. And certainly part of me wanted to like chase after them and then stay with them. Um, but I, I just not knowing how my body was going to do at that altitude and for knowing that it, how long of a, of a race it was like, I really tried to pace myself and um, I rode a lot of the first, like up until Columbine with, um, with Rose. And so I, I kind of saw her and I was like, well, she knows what she's doing. I'm just going to, going to stay, stay back with her a little bit. And we, I think we paced pretty well and um, did have a group on the road section and through some of those flatter parts of the courses or the course. And um, so it ended up working out. Um, and then Columbine is kind of where we caught up with, um, Sarah and Hannah and Kat. Um, and that's an area where like, I kind of knew I could probably make up some time on the climb. Cause I definitely am a little bit more of a climber. Um, and I was able to do that. And then, um, I don't know, we ended up riding, riding for most of the way together uh, back through, um, back until, um, power line pretty much is where kind of the race started to break apart a little bit more. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I, it was, I think it was cool to, 
to be able to ride at my own pace and ride my own race, um, and not have to worry a ton about, you know, really going out of my comfort zone at times to like stay with a group, um, in order to like draft and stuff like that. So. Yeah. And so do you feel obviously also in addition to that, the Belgian waffle ride was a very long one. So do you, do you, I mean, this is from what I understand your first season doing so well as a pro, um, but you have, you know, a lot of sports background, which we'll get into with some questions, but do you feel like you've already found your niche, which is something not ultra endurance, but definitely very long. So you, is that the space that you know, you're, you know yourself the best? Um, and is that um, going to be the type of events that you're going to continue to target? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm still kind of figuring out what I like to do and what, you know, gets me the most fired up. But this year, so so far, like, I think I do. I My sweet spot right now, I think, is in like the, you know, maybe four to out, eight hour range. I kind of like that area a lot. Um, so. That's a big range. <laughs> it's a big range, but well, you know, it, it's like not the cross. I, I feel like I've dabbled in cross country mountain biking a little bit and cyclocross too. And I definitely like those types of efforts, but, and then I did unbound as well. And, you know, 12 hours, 13 hours, that's a really long day. And as I, I, I did really enjoy unbound. I had no idea if, if that was going to be a fun experience or just like a terrible experience and it, it did end up being fun. But I think, I think the sweet spot for me is kind of like, yeah, the, the distance of like BWR Leadville and maybe even a little bit shorter. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and tell me about the, the Belgian waffle ride, because I know, and I spoke to Katarina a while back and to see her coming from cyclocross to cross country and she's, you know, been racing for going into her third decade right now to have these new, these new challenges. And so, um, I know that you were chasing her, um, out there and that, that, that race seemed particularly grueling with, with the temperatures that you guys had to deal with. So, um, that probably it had its own so besides. It was, it was brutal. Like, I mean, Leadville was hard, but BWR for me was a whole nother level. Um, the last 30 miles, I just, you know, I hit a wall, like I rarely hit walls in, in these races. Like I, I, it, it was a totally different, you know, totally different race strategy and tactics than, um, Leadville just cause so much of it is on the road and you have to be with a group or, I mean, you don't have to, but I think like to really conserve energy and to do your best, you, you need to be with a group. And so, I definitely tried to to be strategic in where I went hard and um, put out a, I think I was pretty good going into like the first single track mile 15. There's like a sharp right-hand turn off of the pavement onto some single track. And there was a bit of a bottleneck, which I knew would happen. So I tried to get ahead there, um, was able to kind of maneuver my way to the front, somewhat close to the front of the pack and um, make it, through the single track um, without getting stuck behind a ton of people. Um, and then I eventually found my way into a group that um, I think we were with a bunch of guys and like 
I don't know, maybe Lauren Stevens was in it and like a couple other women. And then we caught up to Katerina and Hannah and a couple of the other mountain, you know, more mountain bike girls who had really crushed the single track. Um, and then, and then I just tried to hang on to them for as long as I possibly could. Like we were going fast, we were going hard on, um, up Black's Canyon and, um, they're really good descenders too. And I just, I'm not a great descender to be honest. So that, that was definitely tough, but I, yeah, that was just like kind of a, a war of attrition. Um, seeing how far I could go before I imploded. Right. And then planning for your hydration, I imagine that was a challenge too. And I don't really understand, but I knew that there was issues in terms of where the feed was or getting the feeds. And so what was that a challenge in order to just to keep yourself topped off and oh, yeah. the lights? For sure. I mean, I, um, it, yeah, you mentioned like it was incredibly hot and I didn't have any support out on the course. Um, and, um, a lot of the women did, which I think, I mean, in a, on a race like that, it, it totally makes sense. And, um, but yeah, I didn't have any support. I did get a couple bottle hand ups, but they were, um, just plain water, which is definitely not what you want to be consuming when it's a hundred degrees out. So I definitely, I did experience some cramping. I had some gels though that like had electrolytes. So I think that that helped. Um, it helped kind of mitigate the cramping to a degree, but then in the last 30 miles, the cramping definitely picked up. I dropped a bar at one point. I, probably most definitely did not consume enough calories on that ride. So between the calories and the hydration and cramping, like I, I didn't do a great job um, in that area. It's a constant like thing that I'm trying to work on <laughs> in these events is um, fueling and hydration. So um, it was tough. It was brutal. I think the hydration in that race was really important and it was, it was hard to not be getting bottle handups um, when some of the other women were um, yeah. having to close those gaps. But that's how it goes. It's part of the sport. Yeah. And speaking of bottle handups and support, I know one of the things that with with the sport right now that it's not um, – it varies from, from race to race what the expectations are for the riders for themselves, what they can do, uh, what they can't do. And I know that um, – is definitely going through some growing pains and I'm wondering what it's like for you as a, as an elite woman racing where, um, one, the, the feeds and how it's different. And then two, the staging where you end up playing through either age groups or, or whatnot. And I know, you know, like when I started the hoppers years ago and almost all of them have been just mass starts with everyone together. But, um, I would imagine that when, the results are very meaningful to one's career that um, that that's something that that's very important uh, in terms of not, for example, taking risks to get into the right spot in the single track just to be ahead of people. And um, I'm wondering if you could talk about what that's been like this year and how the events have maybe been um, been different. Um, what seems to work for you? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it really kind of depends on, the event and how big it is um, for like, for example, for rooted Vermont, we had, there was a mass start and that seemed to be fine. I think um, usually no one has a problem with the 
you know, the pros like uh, kind of making their way up to the start and then people who know that they're not going to be as fast holding, holding back um, and kind of self-staging a little bit. Um, I think that can work in some events. And then for BWR, we did have like two distinct start areas. So there was kind of like a median in the road and the women started on one side and the men started on the other. And I think that that actually, that, that did work pretty well considering how there were like 4,000 racers there, like something like that needed to occur for it to be somewhat safe. And, um, but the, the timing of like the waves, I, the cat two, three, four men or something went like five minutes behind the pro women and they caught up to us right before the single track. So there was an even bigger bottleneck and, Mm. um, yeah. So I think, I mean, that could have been handled a little bit better and to make it a bit safer, um, cause it is, it is a little bit scary <laughs> that that was a little scary a moment of the race. Um, yeah, so- I think, it, I think the, the balancing act where this idea that, that an elite like world-class level, like uh, almost like UCI, USAC moving there, that you could have the pro elite race and that you could have everyone else racing the same day on the same course. And when the numbers get that big, the logistics, um, you know, for safety and for equity on the course, it's, um, it's a tough, it's a tough ask, um, like that. And, um, you know, when we always assume people would be on their best etiquette, but I'm sure you had a certain group of, you know, cat two, three men, you know, pinning it for their category and, you know, cutting people off and, and they're racing too. So that's, that's, that's tricky. Um, and then, Okay, so sorry, I interrupted you finishing your your story for the start for that. So did that end up working out for you? There was going to be a bottleneck in the single track, or did that end up changing the dynamics of the race for you, for the women? Um, you know, I can't, I don't know how it, I don't, I don't know how it played out for some of the other women who maybe got caught up in the bottleneck a little bit more. I was able to like take an inside line going into this corner and um, had a pretty good position. And I don't know, I guess that was kind of just, just luck to a certain degree and, and kind of like looking ahead and being like, okay, I think this maybe makes sense. Like maybe I'll take this line and, um, and it ended, it ended up being okay. Um, But yeah, I, I definitely maybe part of it. Maybe part of it too. I say maybe part of it too. As long as it's clear to you guys, you know, hey, we have this long till the single track. We've got five minutes, you know, so the effort can be more, you know, and that and that's racing. As long as it's clear to everyone what's going on. Okay, we need to get to this spot by by oh, some yeah. point. I mean, I think people knew the thing that was kind of hard was it like it was a downhill into it too. It wasn't like oh. flat or uphill. So yeah, that was the other thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, I think, um, I think you could adjust the course though, to make it so, um, you know, you, you don't have to come into it on a downhill. You could come in it, into it from a different direction and it would probably be a little bit safer. Um, yeah. but anyways, well, I, I'm in the introduction. I didn't really get to go back a little bit, but I, I did, uh, you know, a little bit trying to sleuthing, uh, you know, about you, um, with, with what you've sports you've done when you're younger and, and, you know, and 
it seems that skiing was the main focus besides cycling later and, and soccer. Um, and I'm just wondering when the transition became, I, I think in talking to you a little bit growing up in East Burke, mountain biking was big. So that was part of your life. But when for you to decide, okay, this not skiing, but cycling is, is what, is what I want to do. I imagine you still enjoy skiing, but your, your energy is going into, into cycling. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, so I used cycling as a training tool for skiing from a pretty young age. I mean, definitely even probably before high school, but then I used it a lot in high school to train in the off season. Cause for skiing, you know, you can't really ski in the summer unless you you go you know, to Europe or to South America. And I, I would do that for a couple of weeks every summer, but also did a lot of weightlifting and hiking and biking and all sorts of other cross training. Um, so that's kind of how I, I started to develop like a, a love for cycling. Um, but then it wasn't until I graduated from college that, and like moved out to the Bay area that I really picked it up a lot and started riding, you know, daily and uh, got into some racing that fall in 2019. Um, and then I feel like it just was kind of a, a slow progression um, of, you know, kind of dabbling in it for a little bit. And then, you know, COVID hit. So that was, <laughs> that was a bummer. Uh, but I continued to just ride a lot, like all during COVID and through 2020, I just you know, continue, continue to ramp it up. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't really come into it this season with being like, Oh, this is what I want to do. I want to go to these races and have these results or anything. It's more just been kind of an adventure of sticking, sticking my feet in the water and, um, seeing what I like to do. And I, I don't know, I've enjoyed it far more than I ever expected to enjoy it. And it's kind of taken over my life <laughs> in the best way. Yeah, I think, <laughs> right. And, and just being thankful coming out of this to have a season. I know that people are starting to tweak over their training and the results and whatnot, but, but just to step back and to say, you know, things aren't back to normal, but a lot of things that the cyclists weren't able to do are are able to do now. Let me ask you a little about your your cycling scene in NorCal. Like it always comes back to NorCal for me. It's not the center of the universe, but it is the center of of my universe and has been forever. And I'm just always so deeply impressed both by the the talent, the commitment, the dedication, and the camaraderie, and just the fun, the diverse group of of, of cycling groups. Um, you know, tell me about your people, tell me about the Fawfuls. And I know that that mm. includes a bunch of men as well, because, uh, that those are good training partners. I see the folks you guys are riding with, but mostly the ladies, like, uh, clearly that's a place where you felt not only welcomed, but, um, inspired, challenged and, um, you know, motivated to, to get where you are now, I think is what been a, just a couple of years. So tell me about the group of folks out here. Yeah, I mean the the cycling community in the Bay is is so strong, like without a doubt, and I think it really opened my eyes to like what the sport has to offer, and um, you know what kind of a community it is, and yeah, I I mean I think Alice Alice and Maude have been huge parts of of how like I don't know um, how big of 
a part of this, this has become to, in my life. And um, I think during COVID and not having races, not like riding with people as much. I mean, we, we still rode, even though we were all kind of traveling a bit and like using the time to explore other areas. Like last year I did leave the Bay for quite a number of months. Um, when we returned, I think like, um, you know, the Strava leaderboards were very active. So people, the women in the Bay go after those for sure. And it's always, I'm always just so inspired by, you know, how hard people are able to go, um, and push themselves, you know, day after day and, um, how I think it's a really, it can be a really positive thing, um, to, you know, QOM chase and see other women like getting after it and breaking times and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think besides that, uh, so, so what is FASL? What is FAFL? I mean, I mean, who, who's, who's birth acronym was that? Was that, is that mod? Um, I think it was mod. Um, I think it was Maud and then, you know, I think she introduced it and then people started referring to us as Baffle, um, like us and like all of the women in the Bay, I guess, you know, um, as just, yeah, these fast ladies, fast and fun ladies. And um, it just, it kind of took off too, I think like, and I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> it's kind of a funny like name, but um, it's stuck. And I think it well, does. Fast, fast and fun is great. Um, it, for me, it's been a fun year. I think that trip that I was able to do with you guys and Kaiser doing some photos really helped me get through a really difficult. I won't know if it was totally dark time of COVID, but um, you know, the fact that Paul, was like, hey, there's these ladies, Paul from Sportful, that you know, going to support. And coincidentally, I'd just been uh, looking on Instagram and had seen some photos you guys had posted from Huck Racing because something that I have to do on a somewhat regular basis for the hoppers because there's some things that have just become really hard, like time-wise, energy sap, just you know, questioning why do I do it, what's it all about, and so I have to see stories of like people that are so stoked when an event happens. And there were a couple that you guys, maybe it was low gap and something else. And I'm like, okay, I need to bring some people in who just like are having so much fun on their bikes. And it was just shortly after that when I was, okay, who are these people that, <laughs> you know, Paul introduced um, to you guys. So I would have reached out um, anyways. And just the, the mud on the face and, and, and the smile. And for me, uh, you know, I needing to keep that at heart you know, while I'm getting the permits, while we're dealing with, you know, all the challenges that happen with things. And in COVID, oh, the roller coasters, you know, we were on such a run. And it was actually, I'd just done a pre-ride of the Huffmaster with um, Austin when we realized that we were going into lockdown soon. And so when we booked that, that weekend to go ride, um, you know, and to post the photos, and those are the two events that we ended up getting to do, Huffmaster, and now we're getting to do Losco. So, I thank you guys for that. I think you brought the energy, you know, to that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really a really fun weekend. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely fun to think back to low gap too. I think that was one of my first gravel races and, um, 
I don't know. I loved that course. That <laughs> was a fun race for sure. So, that was the super wet, wet year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We went so rugged. <laughs> yeah. So like the thickest peanut butter mud you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly love conditions like that. They remind me of Vermont. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and do you miss Vermont? I saw some photos of some events happen. It's green. It actually is green places on the planet and it rains. It, and it uh, that's nice to know as a Californian. Yeah. It was a good reminder. Um, no, I was, I was blown away by how green and like lush it was there. I was like, wow, I totally forgot that this existed <laughs> and like, Oh, there's moisture in the air. This is nice. Um, yeah. you know, going back to Vermont was amazing. Um, I really had a fun time racing rooted. Um, that course was beautiful, just good vibes all around, kind of like a hopper esque type race with just like a really big focus on the community and bringing in, you know, cyclists of all different levels with all different backgrounds. Um, and got to participate in a fun um, women's forum, which was, which, which was really cool. Um, had a post-race maple creamy, which was amazing. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a maple creamy, but I highly recommend. <laughs> They're like no. my favorite things. <laughs> it, where, where, where would I find a maple creamy? Well, I think you have to, go to, you have to go to Vermont. Oh, that's an expensive dessert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's worth it. It's worth it. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And it's, it's been fun for me. You know, my goal had been a couple of years ago. Okay. I need to, you know, not be teaching full time and do my events and travel and go and do some other events. And that still hasn't been happening. So besides doing the events and being with my kids and teaching, like I just can't get out, but seeing so many things go on where the focus is community based and towards organizations and getting people out to have fun and, and still having that competitive element. Like I think that, model has been set. I mean, some people have gone, you know, there's some debate about what it should or shouldn't be. And and I don't, the shoulds are tough. If we're, if people are putting on events that are from the heart and they're, and people are having fun riding them, um, you know, some are going to be more recreational and others are going to be towards competitive. I think there's place um, for all that, but yeah. seeing those places where it just makes sense. I mean, yeah, not that many roads are paved. I was talking to Tez, like, yeah, it just, it, it makes sense. You know, where we live, it makes sense to still ride your road bike. Cause it's great. But Oh my goodness. Sounds like there's just dirt roads everywhere, right? They're everywhere. I mean, when I go home and visit my family, I can go out my door and never touch a paved road and just, it's unreal. It's so good. <laughs> and it looks like what I like. I mean, truthfully, I'm not that crazy about gravel. Like, a dirt road, Redwood, Duffy, or someplace where it's rained like that. I love that. There's some gravel now and then, but when you think about the gravel they laid the day before at Huffmaster or places that are like thick gravel, you know, when you have places where it rains and you just, you see that packness or like we get in Mendocino sometime. Cause then for me, it feels like the mountain biking skills where you're picking your lines in between, even though it's a wide road, there's like one best line moving mm -hmm. back and forth. And yeah. oh, this looks, so maybe I'll make it next year. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, they're so smooth. The roads like truly they're better than the paved, like they're smoother than the paved roads. The paved roads in Vermont are, are not great. <laughs> the gravel roads are much better maintained, maintained. Um, yeah, they're good. Yeah. Well, that's where the development, I mean, it doesn't make sense for people when they're entering the, the, the cycling market to buy a road bike, you're getting an all road bike or you're getting a gravel bike and, you know, and then it gives you, gives you, 
um, the options. So I have a question for you about um, about racing and competition, but kind of connecting. I was looking at it, if the internet serves me right, and sometimes it's not, but both <laughs> your parents were uh, U.S. ski team members, are so they were competitive skiers. My dad was, my mom um, was not, and I don't, it's funny, I feel like I've stumbled across that at one point, and I don't know why that information is out there. She definitely uh, was not uh, a ski racer. She skis recreationally, um, but she's a very good athlete, like, definitely, uh, I think she, she, she probably could have been, like, a really good competitive swimmer. She's a great swimmer and also yeah. a good runner, um, just pretty good endurance athlete. Um, and then my dad was, um, like a high level Alpine ski racer. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm fascinated by people that seem so well balanced and nice and are so successful, uh, competitors, right? Because we know the dark place. And part of this is the mental part of the training and of the racing. And it's not, you, you can't be too nice all around. Like if, if you want to compete and you want to push yourself to the limits, like where, where does that, if it didn't come from your, where does that drive come from, from you? Tell me a little bit like you, you're at your computer working and you're thinking about the next thing, or you're on a casual ride. You're like imagining a couple months down the road, or you're looking at that Strava segment. What, what is it for you that makes you, why is that important to you? Um, I don't know. I just love being able or like love pushing myself really hard and seeing what I'm capable of. Like, I, I feel like I've always been someone who really enjoys challenging things, um, no matter kind of what it is. And um, kind of, I think I learned to enjoy the challenge of like physical competition from a fairly young age, just growing up ski racing. And then, um, the training for skiing was always very rigorous um, and challenging. And I learned to love just kind of to love the pain, I guess. <laughs> I found it very rewarding to like do something that was really, really challenging that I didn't think I was capable of doing and to just feel that sense of accomplishment afterwards after I had achieved it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I find a lot of just internal motivation in that, I would say. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I like to compete with myself more than anything else. Um, certainly it's fun to compete with others, but more than anything, I think like I want to become, you know, the best version of myself that I can be, whatever that may look like. Um, and I think the, the process of like achieving that is, um, really fun and, and rewarding. So I understand you also, you also work full time for, for specialized, right? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> so yeah. is that, I mean, would you want to just be a pro racer? Do you need to have a little bit of a disconnect from having work and then being an athlete or do you strive to, you know, be able to just be an athlete? Do you, would that, would that fulfill you? I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Um, you know, I think I really like at the where with where I am right now, especially, I really like the balance of having a job and something else to focus my time on when I'm not riding. I think it, it helps me, you know, 
balance everything um, and makes me really enjoy the time that I do get to spend on the bike. It never feels like a chore, you know, it's like, oh, I get to go ride my bike today. Like during these two hours in between meetings, it's never like I have to, I have to do it. Um, so I think that that's really helpful. Um, and um, yeah, I think it also for me right now, just getting into racing and being competitive again kind of takes the pressure off the competition a little bit. Like, I don't feel like I have to do well in order to, you know, make a sponsor happy or anything like that, which is kind of nice. Um, but, you know, would I consider being a full-time athlete at some point? Maybe I will not, I'd never say never to anything. So um, yeah. I think growing up, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. That was my dream. So, um, you know, part of me right. will want that. <laughs> Well, you might have to like re reevaluate after this year with the success you, you've had. Um, and on that note of, of being a pro athlete, I have a question for you to just get your perspective in on this, especially as, a, as an up and coming um, athlete. And it's fascinating to me. Um, and I, without saying how things should or shouldn't be, but for me observing, so I got into cycling, competing late, um, raced, I mean, uh, played team sports through high school and did well, got into mountain biking in the early nineties and they had beginner sport expert pro. Um, by the time I got the expert, they had semi pro. So you had to go through the semi pro and then the road was the categories, et cetera. And it, you know, it was through USA cycling, you know, Norba had done that. And it was kind of, that's, that's basically what you did to move up. And you went and you got, you got, um, points, you know, and mm -hmm. part of in starting the, starting the hoppers was my disillusionment with, you know, I wanted to be able to race pro on the road just for it was safer and more competitive for mountain biking. And it was just nutty where we had to go and the races were so dangerous and negative. And that kind of led to starting them with no categories and, you know, and would kind of tease my friends who would go down to Merced or whatever and do a crit on the weekend to try and get upgraded from a four to a three. But now you see folks where one can choose to race open pro. And if they have the results, I mean, that's who they are. They become a pro racer. I mean, I remember Amity coming out to King Ridge when she was, I think, 21 and just killed it. She was probably waiting for an hour for her friends mm -hmm. and was in the top percentage. And, you know, and now you have people coming from who are pro road backgrounds, pro mountain bike backgrounds. But, um, you know, for example, I think if, if you're a three on the road, but there's no reason for you to go and race a race as a three. So... How do you see, what do you think about that? Like, does it require, is it getting to the point where we need a governing body uh, to be self-selecting? And like, you know, what point does one become pro? One says pro. And, and I know people put on that word, I'm pro now. And it's like, wait, I'm pro? What does that mean? That means I get a paycheck for winning or a sponsor gives me money or I get to put that on my IRS now. <laughs> that's kind of a lot of stuff but like how do you see that and especially uh, i guess i was connecting to your dad was in u.s cycling i mean uh, in skiing the skiing has a development program as well it's a national program mm -hmm. and our national programs are trying desperately to get their slice of to get people both on the road uh mountain bike they're still kind of there but not with the youth so um yeah i'll just leave it at that and see what do you what do you yeah. take, make of all that i mean I kind of like, you know, coming from a very like, you know, organized and structured sport. I kind of appreciate that about gravel, at least right now. Um, 
not having, you know, like official categories and licenses and all that jazz. Um, I think, I don't know. I think it, it, um, it definitely makes it feel a little bit more inclusive, I think, and um, takes focus off of the competition. And obviously, you know, I think, <laughs> I think these races are still really competitive um, clearly without, without, um, you know, that added structure. So, um, I think, you know, is it necessary at some point, Mm, you know, certainly maybe some races will go in that direction and, um, there will be like a more official, you know, discipline of gravel. Is that, is that bad? I don't, I don't know one way or the other, but I think that, um, that, race certain races should continue to operate the way that they are right now and i think those will continue or should should and will continue to thrive in that environment of you know less structure um not being governed by usac or anything like that um so i I envision a place where there's maybe a mixture of both potentially um and riders get to pick and choose a little bit um i don't know what do you think (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think the pick and choose thing that that makes a lot of sense. You know, when we were at the meetings in Bentonville a while back, and it, it's you know you see what's what's happened uh, with some of the larger events. You know, B, BWR has definitely got their series, and they have a mind of what they want it to be, and definitely focusing big on the pro roast race and having others as well. You know, and Steamboat and Lifetime owns a bunch of them, so you know that's you know that's a type of event and people know what it is and they, and they can choose. And then there's about 700 other events in the United States <laughs> that maybe are a little more rootsy. And, you know, so like you said, there, there's room for both. It's, it's getting so big that I think some of that is inevitable to happen. And I think there'll be certain people that really want to be the 35 to 40 gravel national champions, mm-hmm. like those age groups that happens on the road and on mountain bike. I think there'll be certain people that will be really motivated to do that. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be people who are like, nah, I'm not going to go to that. And that's similar to what happened at the mountain in the mountain bike level, you know, when you got the micro categories. Um, one good thing about cycling is, you know, there, there aren't that many bullshitters out there. Like in terms of what I mean by that, there's, there's not a lot of big talking because your legs have to talk. Like if you put yourself in the wrong category and you blow up or you're wrong staging, like you really pay some dire consequences. So people (laughs) self-select by that staging, Uh like, you know, the type of trouble you get into by going too hard or, or, you know, um, it's a very humbling. It doesn't happen more than (laughs) once or twice (laughs) before you find your group. So I've always loved that about cycling. Uh Um, and then we also know that when we're not at our peak fitness, that like, you know, writing checks that aren't going to cash are, are, are big risks. Um, yeah. But I do uh, like that the, the promoters are leveraging their influence for parity, for the payout for the women's, for the inclusivity of BIPOC and, and the initiatives that have happened. Like, you know, people are taking the, the issues of social justice Um. And that's, that's tough to do in sport when it's a huge governing national sanctioned body. But if you have someone who's like, this is my race and this matters to me, yeah. and this is, these are our expectations of riders' behavior, boom. Totally. Um, 
And I think, you know, and then they hear from writers, hey, what about this? Um, which which is great how we get feedback. I mean, I was struggling how to do the Huffmaster start um, because the county told me we had to have groups of 50, mm. no bigger. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do I start it and safe? Is it men, women, guys before, after? If women's go before, guys pass them. And I was thinking of this busy road and I totally blew it. Like the way it started putting the women in the back. I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel right. And people reached out to me and I'm like, oh, you're right. Okay. I, I know, even if it makes it, people have to be a little more um, careful passing. Like that doesn't make sense, but it's great to have an event where you get feedback and people aren't just like ripping you apart in, in comments on <laughs> it's like, Hey, we're trying to put on a good event and, and make it better. And um, you know, and I, th I think that's what's happening, those discussions in terms of that came up like with with the feed zones. And I hope that's what's happening with establishing some norms for racing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an exciting time. And I think I mean, I think most people are understanding that, like, you know, things are constantly evolving and changing. And we're trying to figure out what we want this space to look like and I know how, how does everyone fit in it and how does it, how is it fair and fun for everyone and for everyone's goals? And yeah, um, yeah it's going to take, it's going to take a little while. I think there are no clear, perfect answers and it's probably not going to be universal across the board. It's going to look different for different races, depending on the size, depending on, you know, if it's more of a roadie race versus, you know, something that caters more to mountain bikers or whatever, like it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be, be different for everything. So, um, yeah. but I think the discussions that are going on right now around these, like it, it's good that, that it's happening. I think, um, I've definitely been hearing of, of ideas and been like, Oh, I haven't thought about that. Like, that's a really cool idea. Um, like check-ins at, at aid stations where you like have to stop for a minute. Um, and they like time you, I mean, Maybe that could work in a smaller <laughs> event. Um, probably not an event like BWR. I don't know. <laughs> or bottle hand-ups for the top, you know, 25 liter, like 25 people, um, something like that. I don't know. Like there, I think there are, there are people um, posing creative, you know, ideas and solutions to a lot of the things that mm -hmm. we're thinking about. So it's cool to see it. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of this stuff is coming is talking about is, is because we're trying to have this really competitive event at the same time, this mass participation fun ride. I think people there, most totally. people don't have that issue. But I think the sport of gravel is being a little idealistic, especially these larger ones that um, you're not going to have things come into play that would happen to other events. I mean, you have folks that by winning one of these races that that can be a career making victory for them by the by the by the media exposure that they're getting right mm -hmm. um you know i don't think the purses are significant not enough to quit your day job um mm -hmm. but it's it's one where people are making a career of it there's money involved um and competition brings out the best and worst of us so to think that without having rules that people are just going to totally play fair that's I don't think that's realistic. Um, whether it's getting teammates to work for you or getting hand ups when you shouldn't, you know, and no one's discussed, you know, doping. I mean, if it becomes I mean, they're talking about trying to have a, a UCI world championship thing and people qualifying for that. I mean, I'm not one to say, hey, let's start checking people. But to be to have this ideal that somehow 
this sport is different than the other sport of cycling for now that it mostly is and it's beautiful but you know like we mentioned maybe things the categories i think that it may branch out um you know in that way for some uniformity but hey it's a big country and lots of places to race your bike right yeah and that's what's really cool i think about about gravel is that you know i think there are op- there are ways to to have enough event- events that cater to everyone's needs and what everyone is trying to accomplish um and you know yeah i mean la- you saw it last weekend even there were like three huge events happening across the us that like you could have gone to and um uh yeah the the abundance of of events they just continue to pop up everywhere so um yeah i was sharing i i forget how i was telling this about but i pulled out an old dirt rag magazine from like 1994 or something like that and dirt i don't know if you remember or seen the dirt rag magazines pretty much if you wanted to know where a race was you had to have that and had the calendar in the back of it by state and it was mountain bike there were hundreds like every weekend in every state and it reminds me of where it's at you know right now and and there were only like three in the whole magazine that i could still name um you know (laughs) name right now but it was like hey let's put on a mountain bike race and and that was awesome we did that in occidental you know and and uh it comes back to i i think like for me having persevered so long doing this is in what people are doing in those areas it it gives us i don't know if it defines us but it gives us um there's a rhythm that it creates in going to events competitive or non-competitive events of like of doing some rides to get ready for it, talking about it, uh, social messaging with your friends or emails, planning the trips together, going to it. There's this routine mm-hmm. that um, that's just the, in terms of the athlete part. And then there's the stuff going on with the town and the people putting them on that I think it's just, it's, it's, it's a super plus. And I can't help but connect it to like, you know, the NorCal and the Nika mountain bike stuff. I mean, to see the kids I coached for, I think eight years for the high school I was at to go to those events. Like I almost cried every start, like to see the kids take off and to see thousands of parents cheering. Like if you haven't been to one of those, it just freaking blows your mind. And it's about, yeah, some kids want to win or ever, but it's about belonging. It's about being part of something where you're having fun. And, and that is, yeah, that's so important. That's so important um, for little kids and big kids. I feel like adults like this transition of getting older. Like you know, when you know, when are you you're growing up? If we're riding on bikes, don't you feel like we're always playing? Don't you feel like a kid every time? Oh, every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, so I'm I'm going a long time. So I forgot to get into my segment, which is which is this or that, and I'm going to tweak it a little bit, and okay. I'm just going to read a list, and uh, you have to tell me which one. Uh, just do whatever you think of. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, mountain bike or gravel bike? Oh, you have to do this to me. <laughs> um, hmm. I guess right now I'd have to say gravel bike. I guess. Okay. It's okay. hard. It's so hard. Right. Probably depends what you're gonna ride. We're in Park City. Okay. Uh, Vermont or California? Um, God. <laughs> Don't worry, just the whole world's listening to this. No pressure. Vermont. 
It's home. Good answer. Uh, mountains <laughs> or ocean? Mountains. Sunrise or sunset? Mm, sunrise. Coffee or tea? Mm, coffee. Uh, climb or descend? Climb. Mm, pasta mm -hmm. or sushi? Mm, sushi. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Astronaut or sailor? Ooh. Um, astronaut. Ooh, it's first one to say that. All right. Really? Um, <laughs> well, I've only asked three people. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Have to or get to? True. <laughs> Ooh. Um, get to. Nice. Good answer. That always depends what time of the day it is, right? Well, it's been a pleasure yeah. talking yeah. with you. And before I sign off, I just want to like hear a little bit like what's coming up next. Like, you know, it's still fall. It's not burning everywhere. There might be some places you can go. So what's up? Yeah, I mean, we'll see what the next couple of weeks look like. Definitely have a bunch of racing on the West Coast, which I feel like is pretty up in the air. Um, but I'm doing Re Rebecca's Private Idaho next weekend. Um, well, this weekend I'm doing Wasash um, All Road here in Utah, and then RPI, and then um, Pete Stetna's race um, in Tahoe. And, and then Lake Sonoma. Grinduro. Uh, I have a wedding that weekend, Meg. I'm so sad. It's the 25th, right? Yeah. That's all right. We'll think of yeah. you. Yeah. You saw? Unfortunately, October not. October 16th? You saw, yeah. Useful, hopefully, and then I think I might might make a trip to um, to Bentonville, and then maybe Kansas for um, Big Sugar, and then BWR Kansas. We'll see. We'll see about that. End of October. Well, that sounds still a lot sounds left. Fantastic. Get back, Justin. That that's a busy fall. You make me tired just thinking of that. Well, best of luck to you. It's been a pleasure mm -hmm. talking to you, and we'll have you back on soon with the. Faffle. I can't say faffle. In Spanish teacher, it's a, it's the soft A. It's faffle for me. So no offense. It sounds like falafel. I know you're it's faffle, okay. you but can I can't say that. Faffle. Faffle. You can say however you want. <laughs> Thanks, Meg. All right. Well, it's hey, been it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. Yeah.